Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Merry Christmas, CBG. Oh, it's good to see you. Hey, thanks for coming out to one of our campuses, whether you're at Lake Worth Beach or you're at, uh, give it up for Homestead Campus or Dade CI. My brother is glad you're with us. We're here at Sawgrass Coral Springs. Or gosh, we have people watching online all around the world. Uh, prisoners of tens of thousands every weekend on the Pando app. Glad you're with us, folks. And uh, gosh, well, it's a t- TV. I think we're on TV in 54 nations, including Iran and Afghanistan. Give it up for our folks watching online. Glad you're with us. And for carving out an hour of this busy time of year, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time. Some of y'all are here like every weekend. Some of you guys hit the big days. Thank you so much for being here. And, uh, and I hope you'll come back. In fact, if church is not your normal thing, think about coming back. Because uh, you know, rally takes over in a couple weeks. That's the young guns. That's the under 20 age. And a lot of churches, you grew up in church, when the young people take over, it's not good. It's just not good. You're like, oh, bless their heart. They're trying Our young guns are phenomenal. I mean, the quality bar probably goes up. And so so I like it. A lot of us who have aged out by a long ways of rally want to go. Here's the one weekend we could have come. We could have crashed the party. So be part of that if you would. And then uh, second week of January, we launch a new series entitled Level Up, Level Up. And I always wait for that second week because I want to give you time to fail at your resolutions. You know, they'll crash and burn by then. And I'm not really making fun. I'm just observing, you know, and maybe you don't make formal resolutions, but it's so hard to change big areas of your life. And I know you're smart. I know you have willpower, but it's just, it's just tough. And I think the reason why sometimes we're not successful at changing a major area of life is we don't have a good action plan. We've not hammered out, you know, practical steps. I'm going to help you with that when you come back for level up. And then sometimes we minimize the spiritual dimension. I would say, yes, it's intellectual, and yes, it's willpower and resolve, but there's a spiritual part, and God is all about transformation, lasting life change. So come back for Level Up. Now, I'm not sure what area of your life you're working on. You want to grow. You want to get better. Uh, Maybe it's in your academics. Uh, Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe you want to muscle up your marriage. Maybe you want to figure out your finances. Uh, How about this? Um, Exercise. Who has a plan to start exercising more in the new year? Who makes some noise? Yeah, I'm going to exercise more or better. I actually, I exercise religiously, but it's hard. It's hard to get started. It's hard to stick with it. You know, people join the gym in January, and the gym never sees them again starting in February. It's hard. I think it's hard because I think deep down, even you exercise, we're lazy. True? Come on. Three honest people in the house. I work out five times a week, but now I know I'm lazy. If my workout includes cardio, like I'm gonna go like walk on the treadmill for 30 minutes, I still try to park my car as close to the front door as possible. So shorten my walk to the gym to walk for 30 minutes. That's lazy, that's lazy. Uh, Who's gonna work on their diet, eat cleaner, more healthy in the new year? Yeah, yeah, look, look, how do you know you need to? Okay. if you just threw away the empty McDonald's bag from the floorboard of the passenger side of your car at another McDonald's on the same day, probably need to think about your diet. 
So if that's you, any area, we're going to level up together. Uh, we have like some 21-day coaches in these various areas online to help you figure out those action steps, uh, maybe spending time in God's Word. I'm planning on doing 21 days and sharing my 21 favorite verses in the Bible. So join us in this journey, if you will. In fact, the theme right now is, you know, we're taking a little trip together, uh, Church by the Glades. We're taking this passport journey around the world, enjoying Christmas. So I started today by saying Merry Christmas, and I hope that didn't offend anybody. Because people these days, you say Merry Christmas, they get a little wigged out sometime. If that's you and you're offended by Merry Christmas, hear this, hear this. I say that, but I mean no disrespect to all the other holidays that people enjoy right now. In fact, I'm a big fan of Hanukkah. I preached on the historic background of Hanukkah two weeks ago. It's amazing. It's a great faith story, story about freedom. So I love those other holidays. But look, if you're offended by Merry Christmas, what offends you? Is it the peace on earth part or the goodwill towards men part? Because those should not be offensive. We should all embrace those kind of things. So Merry Christmas. Glad you're here. Happy holidays, whatever. Um, and so my challenge this year, like it's been for several years, this is my 24th year to do Christmas with you, is uh, this story, this story, this Christmas story. Everybody knows this one. Like you're a church novice, you know the basics of this one. Like you know, you know the mama and the daddy and the baby, right? You, everybody, know, everybody knows where this one lands. And so this story, if you're teaching this story every single year, how do you keep it fresh? Because this story, you love it. We love this beautiful story, but it's so familiar. In fact, I, I, I think this is what I call a third child kind of story, a third child kind of story. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, anybody here a parent? Make some noise to our campuses if you're a parent. Make parents. Got parents in the house. All right, let me drill down. Who is the parent of one child? Make some noise. You got one child, one child. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. One child, one child, cute, one child. Y'all got one on the way, too. That's, all right, by the way, who's a twosie? Who's a twosie? Two kids. Oh, yeah. Right, right, two, two. Feels way more than one more than one, doesn't it? But yeah. All right, now let's get to the big leagues. Three or more. We got three. Anybody got the more? Who has five or more? Anybody five or more? Really? Really? Wow. How many? How many? How many? What? Six. You got six kids? We have Amish people at, at Church by the Glades. It's glad. <laughs> That's a lot of, you know, like building a barn in the backyard without tools, Amish people. I'm just kidding. Six, six is a lot. But the reason I say this story is a third child kind of story. Like if you have like more than one kid, if you have just one kid, if you have more kids, you love them all the same. My three kids, we love them all the same. They're all equally wonderful in their own way. But the more kids you have, the more casual you get, the more familiar you get. Right? That first child, that first, when you have that first child, you're on pins and needles. You're so worried about everything, stress over everything. Oh, she gets a little runny nose, you run her to the pediatrician. Fever hits like 102, like, let's go to the ER, right? Pacifier falls on the ground, you're like, oh, we gotta sterilize it. Put on like rubber gloves and pick it up and put it under like hot water for 10 minutes because you love it and you're just paranoid and you're careful. Now, by the time you get to child number two, pacifier falls on the ground, you put it under the water for 10 seconds. But child number three, number three, that pacifier falls on the ground, you're like. <laughs> and then you take it and you pop it in your own mouth. Mm. Put it right back in the kid's mouth, that's what you do, right? It's not because you love child number three less than number one or number two, it's just what, you're familiar, you're comfortable, you're casual. 
this is a child number three kind of story. Nobody's surprised. No one's going, oh, they put the baby in a manger? That is so unsanitary. We should call Child Protective Services or Mary and Joe. Nobody, right? Y'all know this land. So how do I make this relevant when we all know this? You're a church novice. You know this story still. So how do I make this personal? Okay, I'm, I'm going to do it this way. Don't answer out loud. Don't answer out loud. Anybody here going through like a really serious problem this time of year? A set of problems? It's financial or it's relational. You got this stressed out situation with your kid. Uh, you know, it's, it's a health issue. Uh, you've lost something or someone. I know we got people in the house right grieving right now. Uh, you're, why, don't you, why don't you kind of frame up the Christmas story, this story we love, we know so well, against the backdrop of your problem. And I want to tell you this, God, as we see in Christmas, is really, really good with problems. Yeah. I'll show you. Let me show you a really famous Christmas verse. And it's crazy. This Christmas verse is not in the New Testament. If you're here a couple weeks ago, I talked about Hanukkah. Actually, I called the sermon Happy Jewish Christmas. I talked about the perfect relationship between biblical Judaism and Christianity, that this should be this wonderful, like seamless, respectful, honoring relationship between the two faith systems. And I, I talked about the fact that you could actually uh, teach the entire Christmas story from the Hebrew prophecies alone. That's exactly what I did. And so one of these prophecies, 600 years before Jesus was born, is in Isaiah chapter 7, Verse 14. Now you think about your problem, and let me show you this incredible Hebrew teaching about the way Messiah would enter the human experience. It's fascinating. It says, the prophet said, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then we get the translation, Emmanuel, the titles for Christ, which means God is with us. God is with us. If you're going through a problem and you've lost something or someone, you might feel very alone. You might be so dysfunctional, maybe you're battling addiction, people have walked away from you. God will never walk away from you. The embodiment of the Christmas story is God is with us. God is, God is with you. You may not feel like he's there, but he's there. In fact, the more you hurt, the more he's there. I know theology is kind of weird because the theologians believe that God's something called omnipresent. It means God, omnipresent. God's, he's, he's present all places, all times. Right, we understand that. Uh, he's, he's everywhere. There's no place you can go to evade the presence of a loving God. But it says in Psalm 34 that he draws near to those who are hurting and is close to those who are crushed in spirit. It means if you're hurting right now that God wants to manifest a unique sense of his presence in your life. You're not alone. You got a problem, but you're not alone. And your problem is big, but it's not bigger than your God. And the second thing when I think about the problems in life, and this, this promise right now is, um, number one, you're not alone. But number two, God is really good at dealing with problems. Like, I don't know, virgins giving birth. That's a problem, amen? You surprised, online they're being quiet right now. Did you take biology class? Your parents had the conversation with you? Uh, human beings, we are mammals. Mammals don't practice asexual reproduction. It takes two. The kids in the room, I'm sorry. You can explain that to them later, right? It takes two. And so God has this issue that Messiah is going to enter the world. This is a Hebrew scripture. This is not a Christian author. This is Isaiah, the most esteemed Hebrew prophet, says when Messiah comes, virgin birth, that is a problem. God, he may not solve the problem the way you want or the way you script, but God will invade the problematic of your life if you allow him. Here's what we learn with Christmas. God is with you, and God is really good at dealing with problems. So I got this third child kind of story. We all know this story. 
And so how do I give you kind of a fresh look at this? Well, you know, studying, getting ready for this weekend, something jumped out at me. And the crazy thing is, I, I know the story really, really well. I've been a pastor for decades, and I've read this story literally thousands of times in my life. But the crazy thing about the Bible is, it's unique. Uh, different than other good books. Other good books, if you ever read like a book you really enjoy, you read it the first time, it's awesome. Maybe you reread it the second time, it's, it's pretty good, but it's now predictable. The third time you read it, it's kind of mundane, unspecified. The Bible, the more you read it with an open mind, with a prayerful, the more you read it, the, the better it gets. You can read a story you know, really well and God will just show you new truth. So an idea just kind of jumped out at me I'd never noticed before, and here it is. I just got this one big idea today, one big idea, and the big idea is movement. Movement. When I say three, shout the word, every campus, shout the word movement. Ready, one, two, three, movement. Come on louder, one, two, three. Embedded in this story is so much movement. It's baked into everything and everyone. People are moving. Here's the idea. God speaks. God gives information. God shares truth. God gives revelation. And when people receive the revelation, they don't just sit there. They move. Faith, action, steps embedded in the story. See, God wants to take you on a journey. We've had this journey theme. You're on your plane, church by the glaze. No one's flying coach or economy. Everybody's first class. We're going to journey from city to city and nation to nation. God with space. God wants to take you on a journey. If you will join with God proactively, if you'll take these steps and God shares his truth, if you'll take one faith action step after another, God will take you on a journey to the destination of purpose and peace and his power. But you got to move. When God speaks, you got to Move. When God shares truth, you've got to say with me, you've got to move. When God shows me that next action step, I say a prayer, I take a breath, because it scares me a little bit. I spit and I move. You got to move. The big idea is movement. Don't miss the one point in the one point sermon. And I'm gonna show you everybody in this story is moving. They're moving. In fact, the story itself is all about movement. Uh, what, what God did, um, y- y- Christmas is not the beginning of Jesus. Oh, that's when Jesus got started. No, 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 Jesus has always been. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the one who was and is and is. Jesus is back in Genesis chapter one making the universe. So what Bethlehem is, what the first Christmas was, is not the start of Jesus. It's the start of something called the incarnation. God taking on flesh. God moving, if you will, from heaven to earth to relate to us to show us he gets it, he understands. I love the way this is rendered in John chapter one, verse 14 in the message translation on the screen right now. It said the word, another term for Jesus, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It's all about movement. I'm gonna show you every major player in the story. God reveals his truth and they move. So let's think together. Who's the most famous person in the story? Jesus, Jesus. By the way, if I ever ask you a question, you don't know the answer, Guess Jesus. You'll be right nine out of 10 times. So Jesus is the most famous person in the story. Number two, I would argue, and this is subjective, the second most famous person would be who? Let's go Mary. Let's go Mary. Magnificent Mary. A remarkable young woman, incredible faith. And, and yes, man, she, she is a hero of the story. And her story shows up, of course, a couple places. It shows up in Matthew, but I love the account in Luke chapter one. When she gets the news, she's gonna be the mama of Messiah on the screen right now. It says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. and You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he'll be great. Be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. That's verse 33. Now, her response, her first word in response to this incredible revelation is found in verse 34 on the big screen right now. When I say three, read the first word. Ready? One, two, three. How, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Valid concern. Good points. We got a problem. She's like, God, uh, uh, Mr. Angel, I'm, I'm good for all this, but how can I have a baby? I've never been with a man. God's like, guess what? I made the universe. I got this. I got this. I got this. Now, I'm losing all like the scientific people right now. Stay with me. I'm going to circle around you. I'm learning the people. And right now, maybe you, you would call yourself, you're watching online. You say, I'm an agnostic. I'm an atheist. I don't do faith. Listen, thank you for logging on or thank you for being here. If you're here and you call yourself agnostic, or an atheist, I'm honored you're here. Just, just be a little bit open because you actually have more faith than you realize. I, mean, I believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. You believe in the virgin birth of the universe. The Big Bang Theory, you kind of believe that all this came from like nothing. Though science or history has never demonstrated that one time. You have a lot of faith. So anyways, Mary's like, how's this gonna happen? I've never been with the man, but she receives, she moves by faith as God speaks revelation to her. Now, when we think of Mary, we think of words like she's blessed, she's favored, miracle, remarkable, faithful, and yeah, 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 that's all true, but everything the angel said to her, she's thinking, oh my gosh, this is gonna be a huge problem. And it's funny how blessing and problem can coexist sometimes, go hand in hand. Oh, my God, yes, God, to all this, Mother Messiah, what an honor. And my gosh, Joseph's not going to understand this. And my family's going to freak out. And my reputation in the village is ruined. And if people perceive this wrong, Mosaic law, I might be executed for this. I mean, sometimes you follow God's plan. You move in faith, and there's problems in front of you. She moves nonetheless. So speaking of the idea of movement, as you read this at home, please read it at home. Chapter 1 of Luke, go to verse 39. Verse 39, the moment the angel leaves, and she agrees to God's plan for her life, First thing she does is she moves geographically. She walks all the way, probably a couple days, to the home of Elizabeth. Who's Elizabeth? She is her cousin. Elizabeth is later on in life, and she too is pregnant. So we stay with me. We have pregnant Mary going to visit her cousin, pregnant Elizabeth. Elizabeth is six months along. Who is the baby inside of Elizabeth? John the Baptist. By the way, John the Baptist is the bomb. I love me some John the Baptist. He's the greatest prophet in all the Bible. Jesus said the greatest man ever born of woman which is the only way to be born, I think, right? Grace, John the Baptist, he's unique, he's unorthodox, he's innovative, and he's weird. I love people like that. So I'm gonna study John the Baptist with you when you come back for Level Up in January because he's a remarkable leader, innovator. I'm gonna show you John the Baptist. So inside of Elizabeth, are you with me? Are you with me? All right, Elizabeth, Elizabeth lives in a different town. Mary's journey to her. So inside of Elizabeth, six month old, preborn John the Baptist. Mary is also pregnant, newly pregnant. And the Bible says the moment that Mary moved and stepped across the threshold, the baby inside of Elizabeth moved, jumped, leapt. I'm not sure that feels like I've never been pregnant, obviously. But ladies, this kick was something so remarkable that Elizabeth perceived something supernatural was taking place. Stay with me. They had not communicated. There was no correspondence. There was no texting or Twitter. 
But the moment Mary moves across the threshold, the baby inside of Elizabeth moves, and the movement is so profound that Elizabeth says, Mary, you're going to be the mother of Messiah. It's one fetus worshiping another. <laughs> Evidently, God gets involved in life very early. And, and what I love about this, because, you know, this movement, I love the first place Mary moves to is, is to Elizabeth. Mary's pregnant. Elizabeth is pregnant. What is pregnancy? Again, I've not experienced it, but here's the way I define pregnancy. Pregnancy is when there's life inside you. Karen, you're pregnant. There's life inside you. There's potential inside you. There's a dream inside you. And I love Mary has all this stuff inside her because she's pregnant. She has life and potential and blessing. And what she does, she goes to find another pregnant person. Elizabeth, who also has what? Life and potential and dream and miracle inside her. Pregnant people find each other. See, some of y'all, you're pregnant with dreams and aspirations and goals and purpose, but you keep hanging out with spiritually barren people. They rain on your parade. They dash your dreams. They're full of negativity and pessimism, narcissism. You need to find some people pregnant with potential and pregnant with promise and people who are excited for you. Elizabeth doesn't say, oh my gosh, you won up my miracle. I got pregnant postmenopausal. You got pregnant with a virgin. You went, no, 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 she's happy. She, she worships, she deflects to her. You need to find some other pregnant people. People who believe in you, love on you, be excited if you have life within them. Where do you find those people? I don't know, Church by the Glades might be a good place to find those people. Church by the Glades might be a place I started. I mean, you might find them at the club. You won't at the club. Church by the Glades where you probably find those people. You need people like that in your life. She moves, she gets them, she moves, she journeys, she travels. Quickly, Joseph Joseph, my brothers, I love Joseph. Now, there's not a single word he speaks recorded in the Bible, which is unique because men in that context of a Jewish culture, they were prominent, they led the families, they were kind of the big shots, he never talks, but he moves with demonstrations of courageous faith time and time again. Every time God speaks, he moves with counterintuitive, countercultural behavior. I love his leadership in the life of his family. He saves the day time and time again. Remember the story when he gets the word that his fiance Mary, is pregnant, and all he knows is he ain't the daddy. The Bible says he could have had her arrested and tried, but instead of being a good man, did not want to shame her, wants to divorce her quietly. And the angel says, hey, hey, Joe, Joe, don't worry. What she told you is true. She's not cheating on you. This is God doing this. He moves with faith. And then because there's a Roman taxation, everybody has to go back to their ancestral home. He takes the family from Galilee, and they move to Bethlehem, fulfilling the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that Messiah will be born in the little city of Bethlehem. Uh, and then later on, when Herod, Herod the Great, hears this new king has been born. By the way, Herod the Great's a terrible misnomer. It's Herod, Herod the psychopath. He's so insecure, he wants to assassinate baby Jesus. You want to murder a baby, you're not a nice person. And uh, you read it, Matthew chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, he's warned Joseph in a dream by an angel to take the family and move to Egypt. He does it that very night, my brothers. Ever pack up your family for a move? That's a big, you people, the one kid, one kid, just packing up a child to go one place, diaper bags and formula and car seats, moves his family in the night. He saves Jesus, he saves Christmas, he probably saves, he is the bomb. When God speaks, he moves. Here's what we learn from Joseph. When God reveals truth to be blessed or be saved, it requires movement. Yet some of y'all don't wanna move. 
You, you knew what God was calling you to do before we, we had the conversation. Before I started preaching, you know, this thing that God's been wanting you to do, wants you to surrender this toxic habit, or maybe you're in this negative relationship, wants you to break that thing off, or, or maybe just some spiritual thing, give your heart to Christ, and you're just resisting, you're pushing back. You know it. You're making excuses, you're lobbing. Joseph had questions. So he takes his family, and they're walking the long, distant, difficult journey all the way to Egypt. He's probably thinking, okay, God, I heard you tell me to do this, but I wish the angel would give me more details. I mean, how do I provide for my family in Egypt? I'm a Hebrew carpenter. I'm not afraid of hard work, but I don't know how to build pyramids. I can't read blueprints and hieroglyphics. But when God guides, God provides every time. But you gotta move. You gotta move. So taking this journey. But some of y'all, God has shown you what to do, and you got wrapped up in your questions or just resisting. So I got a player in this story for you. If you're resisting God right now, this thing God's called you. So here, here, here is, is it the wise men? No. The shepherds? No. How about the donkey? The donkey is for you. Let's talk about the donkey in the Christmas story. And there, there's, there's a Bible scholar going, well, David, technically speaking, the donkey is never mentioned in the story, right? Right? So why has there been a donkey in the artwork over the years? Well, it's the assumption that Joseph's a nice guy. Because Mary is how pregnant? Barry. Like she's nine months. She's retaining water. Uh, her back is hurting. Her feet are swollen. You know, old Joseph went to Nazareth to rent a donkey, spent his last dime to rent a donkey to make that journey because it's a four-day walk more comfortable, so we can't assume safely there probably was a donkey. Now, I don't know where you're watching this online, but here in South Florida in the U.S., we don't do donkeys. Like, none of us has a pet donkey, right? Anybody pet donkey? No, no, for sure. I don't have to ask. Nobody has a pet donkey. We don't know much in our culture about donkeys. In fact, all we know about donkeys, in our, when you think donkeys, we assume these facts. Okay, donkeys, uh, they live with Shrek, and when they talk, they sound like Eddie Murphy, and when they get married, they don't marry other donkeys. They marry dragons, right? That's all we know about donkeys, and I don't think any of that's actually true. So uh, I researched the donkey. How were donkeys used in the first century in the Middle East? And this might surprise you. Uh, they were not used for food. They didn't eat donkeys. That sounds disgusting anyways. They didn't dine on donkeys. Uh, they were used for transportation occasionally, and this might surprise you as well. Uh, they were used for protection sometimes. Attack donkeys. I mean, they didn't have Rottweilers and German Shepherds. So what a farmer shepherd would do, he'd use a donkey. Because a donkey has a very protective behavior. A donkey, if a predator shows up, and they have, they have jackals and hyenas, and so 200 years ago, they had leopards in the Middle East. But a donkey, man, will bow up when there's a predator, right? So if you have sheep or something, you have a donkey there, because a donkey will, will stomp and will kick and try to bite and bray. Bray is the technical term for yeehaw, like aggressively make all this commotion and stuff, and it'll protect, it'll protect the sheep, protect the farm every time, unless it chooses not to. Like most times they'll protect, and every once in a while we we'll just go, yeah, I don't care, I don't care. Uh, Mr. Leopard, go and eat the sheep, and I'm taking a night off, right? They're, they're inconsistent as protective animals. In fact, they're not even great transportation because they're stubborn, and so they're kind of hard to use because sometimes they don't want to work and don't want to make things happen. There's some of us we're gonna miss out on God's best in our life because we're inconsistent and we're stubborn. Before you walked in the room, you knew the thing that God is calling you to do and you're kind of being a donkey, kind term, and you're pushing back and you're resisting and you're being, or you're being inconsistent. I mean, some of y'all, I love you're here, but man, if you came to church every week, if you were here every week allowing God to download his truth in your life every week, 
Can you imagine the momentum? Yeah, God blesses individual uh, behaviors, but he blesses habits and disciplines. Don't be a donkey. If you will move, if you will move, if you will move in faith, God will move on your behalf. God initiates with his truth, with revelation. But if you will move, you have to take the action step. God will move, God will move heaven for you. In fact, when we took this journey, you know, with a little airplane, we kind of bounced from New York and we went to Jamaica, went to Mexico, and went to Kenya. We kind of landed in space. You're like, oh, it's church by the glaze. In space, guess what? Christmas was in space. Remember that part of the detail, that detail of the story that part of the heavens moved when Jesus was born? I'll show you. Uh, because the birth of the king was declared in the sky, in the heavens. Matthew chapter 2, it says in verse 1, the birth of the king was declared in the sky. It says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi, wise men, kings from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Get ready. We saw his, his star in the east and have come to worship him. Remember the star? There's a star in the story. Now, this is for like the skeptical scientific people. What if I could show you there was something happening so rare an astronomical anomaly in the sky that fits the criteria of the star of Bethlehem. Because guess what? This was a weird star. This star is so magnificent or so bright that the Magi leave probably Babylon, journey 500, what, moving 500 miles to Israel. Then the star is moving, and then it stops moving right over Bethlehem. So stars, they move slowly in the sky, but they don't suddenly stop. So they have to have a star that's incredibly rare, incredibly bright, and then it moves and it stops. So what would fit all those things? All right, here's the part of the sermon for really smart people. So stop right now and eyeball your neighbor. Eyeball your neighbor, check him or her out. Like, oh, look how smart they look. Give it up for your neighbor right now. That highly intelligent, probably got a perfect score in their SAT. Uh, if you log off right now, we'll just assume you're not smart. Anyway, so stay with me. I wanna give you some reasons, some evidence for the reality of the faith. God writes his truth in the heavens. It says in the Old Testament, he puts every star in place on purpose. Watch God do this. So uh, how do we know where the stars were back during the time of Christ? Okay, a smart guy who lived in the 1600s named Kepler found out you could use mathematic formulas to figure out where the stars and the planets and the comets and the sun would be in the future, right? He made these calculations and he was correct. We still use his calculations today. Right, And you can kind of backtrack in time using the same formulas and with great confidence know where the stars and comets and the moon was back in the past. You with me? Now this is kind of fun. Sometimes I get invited to preach at other churches and I have a church I love to preach at in Huntsville, Alabama. Now you think Alabama cliches, you think what? University of Alabama football and Forrest Gump. That's what you think of, Forrest Gump. This church at Huntsville is one of the places where NASA is. NASA is based in Houston, and it's based in Cape Canaveral, Florida. And the guys that actually built the rockets, the Saturn rockets we used in the Apollo program, those guys are all in, in, in NASA. So I'm at this church, and they have a bunch of these engineers, these guys that love NASA, and they're astronomers, and they're super smart uh, engineers. In fact, I took a picture of these guys. Here's the guys I was talking with in this church who understood all this. That's the guys. Okay, that's not the guys, but think those guys just in their 70s, right? Think you can take down that slide. So really smart engineer, kind of nice, nerdy guys. And so I'm saying, hey, the star of Bethlehem, is there any evidence we have found that there's something happening in the heavens that would fit that very unique criteria? Very rare, very bright, moving, then stopping, because that's not what stars typically do. Uh, well, they actually had hacked into the NASA computer because they were Christians to see if something fit the criteria. 
Kepler in 1600 was a Christian person, tried to do that with his math. You know what he found? Nothing. But he had the wrong date for the birth of Jesus. So question, when was Jesus born? We all know December 25th, zero, zero. Actually, I don't break it to you. That's probably not when Jesus was actually born. That's when we celebrate his birth. Uh, December 25th, no one thought back in the day that was actually his birthday, but there was a Roman pagan holiday where they worshiped the sun, not the S-O-N, the S-U-N. And but as Christians kind of became the dominant faith in the empire, the Christians would say, let's get rid of that. This terrible, this pagan. No, no, people love it. They're off work. They celebrate their families. They give gifts. Let's just take that and repurpose that and redeem December 25th and make it about the sun, the S-O-N. And so it became a Jesus day. I thought that was brilliant. By the way, we do things like that with culture all the time at Church by the Glaze. I love to plug, you know, music and movies and repurpose those for the kingdom. Now, as far as the actual year, uh, Kepler had the wrong year because he had the wrong sources. He was using a historian named jo Flavius Josephus. He was using the Bible, but he landed with the wrong date. Based on what history tells us in the scripture says, certain things we know were happening when Jesus was born. Uh, we know that King Herod, Herod the Great, was still alive. We know that uh, Augustus was reigning in Rome. We know there was a Roman census of all the empire. He did that twice. Uh, and then we get a different detail in Luke's gospel that Quinius was the governor of Syria. As we align all those different details, we come up with a window. Don't know the exact year, but Jesus was born uh, somewhere between three and four BC and, and two and three AD. So about a five, six, seven year window right there. Now, what was taking place in the heavens that would fit the criteria of the star of Bethlehem? This is really cool. If I had time, I'd talk to you about stars going nova and supernova or tailless comets, but there's one thing that is so rare, almost never happens, and it happened during that time period. If you're in the Middle East, you are very attentive to the stars. Why? Uh, no one had invented social media or Netflix or Hulu. So if you've ever been out, you know, we're in a city center right now. Ever gotten in the country where there's not city lights? You see how many stars there are? Like in South Florida, we have like four. But you know, if you're out in the country, you see, you see thousands. Well, people in the ancient times loved the stars. And in the Middle East, where it was hot, there's no AC. So if the day was hot, you go up on the top of your roof, flat roof, and that's where you sleep with your family. You just talk about the stars. And so they were very tender to things happening in the heavens. So in this time window, we have something called a convergence. What is it? Well, probably not truly a star, a convergence of planets. In fact, if you look into the sky right now, the brightest stars probably aren't stars. Here in South Florida at night, go out tonight, in the eastern sky, you'll see a large red star. It's not a star, it's the planet Mars. And the reason they look so big is this, they're just close. You know, the stars are very, very far away. The planets are our next door neighbors, if you will. And so they seem bigger, they reflect the light from the sun. So planets will be bright in the nighttime sky in the Middle East. So we have a convergence, not just one planet, but two. We have Saturn, and Saturn's a very large, large planet. And then aligned with that, we had the biggest planet, Jupiter. So this would create a very, very bright star. And just for good measure in this convergence, in the distance was the constellation Leo. So these Babylonian magi would have looked up and seen this brightness, this convergence, they go, oh my gosh, what's going on? We've never seen a star like this. So they saddle their camels, they start this journey as the star seems to be moving, takes them all the way to Israel and then to Bethlehem and then it stops. Why would it stop? Okay, um, an illusion. See, if we're watching this planet's move from a stationary location, like we all lived on the sun, be very hot, but we're in a stationary spot, and the planets orbit around the sun like satellites. But we don't watch the movement of the planets from the sun. We live on a satellite, the third one from the sun called the Earth, and so we're moving 
Are you, st are you still with me, smart people? Are you still with me? Have I lost you? Is this for the smart people? All right, so we're moving while Jupiter and Saturn moves, but at some certain point we align, it seems like they haven't moved anymore. They would seem to be still. It's like, ever drive your car, and you're driving your car, and you look out your window, and here's a bird, with the bird's flying like right along beside you. Now you're going 35 miles an hour, and the bird's going 35 miles an hour, but it looks like it's standing still, like I could touch it, but it's really moving. It's like that that eventually all those planets will line up and seem to be still right over Bethlehem. And the crazy thing is this, all these stars and all these planets had meanings for the ancient people. Saturn represented the nation Israel. Jupiter, the biggest planet, Jupiter named for Jupiter or Zeus, is the king planet. And then Leo, Leo is the, uh, Leo is the, the lion. Judah is the tribe of the lion in Genesis and in Revelation. In fact, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered. So just seeing this bright star that moves, then it stops with the plant that represents Israel and then the king of kings and the tribe of Judah, they recognized Messiah had come. Crazy rare. Well, David, I need more convincing than that. You still got questions? I get it. But this was enough for the wisest guys, smartest people on the planets to saddle their camels and journey to move 500 miles. So has God shown you something to do? Make a move. Make a move. This gets personal. What's your move? What is your move? What's that thing that God's impressing on your heart right now? Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It's the greatest decision you can make. What a better time than Christmas season or believer's baptism. Or maybe for you, there's just some habit you need to give God or some toxic relationship. Or maybe it's just, I'll keep showing up. David, I'll keep showing up. I'm not convinced yet, but I'll take that step. I'll take that step. It's, if God's moving, if God is showing you truth, don't just sit there. Don't just admire it, appreciate it. Application. The blessing of God is always applied to the doing of the word. When God moves, you gotta move. When God reveals truth, you got to move. When God shows you information, you got to move. Revelation demands movement, and if you move, you will be blessed, amen? Father God, thank you so much for a third child kind of story. Father, that kind of story we know really well, but guess what, you've infused it with new truth. And the truth is, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Messiah has come. Uh, the Word has become flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, but God, you moved now it's our turn. We make our moves in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.